0: Please turn to page 5 in bulletin for God's word. Romans 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Psalm 82. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. First Peter chapter 2. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Joshua 5. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Uh, I am uh, Pastor George Ohio, and I am Assistant Pastor here at Christ Central. I, uh, pastor Howard is actually away; he is teaching and preaching tonight at uh, uh, at First Pres in Columbia. Um, and uh, it's a really interesting thing because, uh, as we'll talk about in a second, uh, much of what we do as citizens or uh, as people in the Kingdom of God is uh, we're both for things as much as we can be, and we're also, uh, so we cooperate with things as much as we can, but we're also a little subversive. Um, and Pastor Howard's actually preaching at the Thornwell Lecture Series. Now, uh, unless you know Southern Presbyterian history, uh, you wouldn't know that uh, uh, Thornwell was actually, who was a, a fine theologian in his time, was also uh, a bad theologian in his time because he was one of the, the main proponents of, of continuing slavery uh, in... Um, in the U.S. and uh, and was in deep and profound error, uh, theologically, biblically, uh, there. Uh, but Pastor Howard, in a real stroke of redemption, is preaching and teaching uh, in this lecture series that is very old and is very established and print, uh, and uh, important, uh, but a friend of ours has actually uh, been asked to lead it and has um, asked Pastor Howard to preach and teach, and specifically preach and teach about uh uh, how the Lord deals with race, how the Lord deals with uh, things like that. So, and if you know Pastor Howard, um, you'll know that uh, he will not uh, wince at the opportunity to speak the gospel through that things, through through a situation like that. So, be really excited about that. Uh, big one, the big thing. He's teaching Sunday school this morning to 450 people, uh, and then tonight he has a worship service. So, uh, pretty amazing opportunity. But that's not what we're talking about. Um, it's a wild time to be an American. Uh, I grew up a military brat, uh, I grew up in, uh, in, in parades, uh, filled with cannon blasts and flags unfurled, uh, hearts pitter pattering for the red, white, and blue as the soldiers come by, um, uh, and the national anthem is played. I grew up, uh, uh, in a very patriotic home, um, but when you grow up in a military, especially when your dad is in special ops, which my dad was in, you also hear these horrible stories of our, of soldiers, American soldiers, uh, uh, that uh, do some pretty tough and, and rough things. who who do some pretty amazingly disturbing things, uh, sometimes with orders, sometimes without. Um, and so, uh, as much as I grew up in a patriotic home, I grew up in a home that had some confusion about national identity, uh, and what was right and what was wrong. I grew up hearing the stories of Vietnam vets being spat on, um, mocked and derided. Um, in high school, I, my, uh, best friend in high school's dad was the associate prosecutor of the My, my Lai Massacre, massacre. So, um, I have all these kind of, uh, uh, flag unfurled, battalions going by, and also this kind of seedy, unseemly side of what it means uh, to be an American. And frankly, I grew up in that, but I don't think um, there's been a time that I know of in my long 33 years of life uh, that, uh, that has experienced such angst about what it means to be an American. The Air Force Recruiting Center telephone line, uh, before September 11th, Averaged 150 a day. The week after September 11th, rec- averaged 800 calls a day. Now, for four months straight, 27, 31, 42, and 25% lower recruitments than they had hoped for. You see this. Not so big, huge, now pulling back off. But the real thing to look at, if you want to know about American identity and, and nationalism, is Lee Greenwood you want to know how America is identifying with itself, you just, you got to think Lee Greenwood. Before September 11th, Lee Greenwood CD sales, God the Bless the USA, could be found online at Amazon.com at $9. After September 11th, it was $13. You got to love American capitalism, right? Higher demand, higher cost. And uh, now it's $10.98. So it's kind of back back down a little bit, but more importantly, you can get the CD sale, uh, which just the just the single with a bonus copy of Amazing Grace sung by Lee Greenwood on the uh, uh, on the back. Now don't mock Lee Greenwood. I have actually, I stand here to admit to you that uh, I've been to a Lee Greenwood concert in Clarksville, Tennessee, with 10,000 soldiers, and there is no more patriotic feeling occasion than. uh then when that moment comes in and he says, "And I proudly stand up," and all these soldiers, ten thousand of them, stand up, and the flag comes down, whoosh in the back. You know, it's as big as the stadium, and uh, and you never have any, you know, lighters in one hand, weeping eyes being, uh, you know, uh, cleared with the other hand. Uh, I know I sound like I'm mocking. In some ways, I am. <laughs> in some ways, I'm really not. I don't really know what to do with all those experiences, frankly. So, what does it mean to be an American, and what does it mean to be a Christian in America? What does it mean? How how do we work all that stuff out? How do I feel and act and believe as an American or as a Christian in America? What has guided your thoughts and these ideas so far? What What do you default to? Does patriotism make you feel safe, or does anti-patriotism make you feel edgy and cool and right? Is your heart fueled by tradition or anti-traditionalism? And how does it work all together? How, how do we come to grips with it, what it means to be live in a nation? I, um, I, I think these, import- these issues are supremely important um, because as I talk to people who are not Americans, who are not uh, 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 people who are born and raised in America, they tend to think so too. That We in the U.S., specifically we in the U.S. who are Christians, and my mom would testify this, who's an immigrant, um, say, you know, you have a real over-identification with being an American. You know, my mom, being Italian, Viva Italia World Cup 2006, by the way, um, uh, 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 but uh, uh, being an Italian, you know, they've been around longer, they've actually done more stuff, they've been an empire and they're not an empire, you know, you know they're kind of over uh, a, a lot of stuff, but, uh, um, but, but she's like, you know, we don't over-identify that much with. With, ourse- with ourselves, and so as you talk to people, um, uh, we kind of over-identify, and this is both for uh, those who are, you know, pitter-patting and going at the Lee Greenwood concert, and those who are anti-establishment as well, uh, you know, couple it with Gen X apathy, and we are uh, supremely American patriots, or we're supremely glad to take our freedoms not to do anything in America, uh, and it, it actually comes and does, it is from the same thing. For those of you who are not believers, uh, uh, who are not Christians, do not call on the name of Christ uh, as your own, then I just ask you to kind of look over the shoulder. This is a confusing thing, not just for us, uh, uh, or for, for, for us, it's for all the nations. You know, there's lots of myths out there. There's, a, there's an aura of what it means to be Christian and American in our society. Uh, we are the city on the hill society. We are the people uh, who the Puritans came over thinking they were setting up a new Jerusalem. Uh, and, uh, and, and creating, in one sense, a theocratic state, a God, uh, governed state. And so, it's kind of in the air that we breathe, and we need to, uh, you know, if you're both a believer and non-believer, we both need to kind of look at this and go, okay, uh, at least what does the source of Christianity say about this? What does it, what does it talk about this? How can we kind of decipher out what's true and right and real in, uh, in talking about nationalism and Christianity? There's a couple things I want to do. I just want to kind of name a couple of things that we're going to kind of go through. And that is that God makes government. Um, and then we have an idolatrous reaction uh, to that government. Um, and then he uh, sets up his own kingdom. And then we're going to talk about how we live out that kingdom from here. So let's start with the first one. This might sound kind of radical to us, uh, depending on what side of the fences we are on. But God makes government. I don't know if you flip. He doesn't make. He makes and creates, and sometimes sus- and, and often sustains, sometimes demolishes governments. And uh, in the Bible, God has used purposely, and said He's used purposely, all sorts of different types of government. I was kind of just reading through some of these, but um, uh, and trying to remember what, what kind of governments He supported at different times in in history. And you have tribal chiefs, totalitarian dictators, theocracies, a kind of a semi fledgling democracy emperors, um, state governments, expatriate governments that are kind of sub-governments within the, a larger government, uh, federal governments, kings and princes and, and queens and princesses, military states. These are all things in Scripture that God says that I have brought about or I'm going to use in the land. God makes and sustains all sorts of different kinds of governments. And sometimes we think, well, God doesn't care about nations. He doesn't care about uh, uh, states, inc., uh, just spirituality, how you doing, you know, not how it's doing. We, we just think, you know, it's just me and Jesus and we're going to hang out and it doesn't matter, you know, where I live or what state I'm a part of or what zip code I have or anything like that. Um, but that's not true. Um... Uh, the scripture is really clear that he cares about nations. In fact, he uses them sometimes for his good, sometimes for their good, sometimes for their own destruction. And I was telling you before, I was kind of reading um, a little bit on the internet, and why this is so important is that is that people really uh, uh, kind of abuse this and flip this into some pretty t- interesting and kind of terrible things. Uh, uh, I was reading, uh, I did a little Google search about some of this stuff, and here's some articles I got. The Flag and the Cross, America's Destiny. The Biblical Justification for the U.S. Role as the Sole Superpower. What? United States of America isn't mentioned in Scripture, it's not even thought of in Scripture, but I don't know how you get the Biblical Justification for the U.S. Role as the Sole Superpower. Or Kevin Phillips' new book, I think it's a, temp, it's a New York Times bestseller, American Theocracy, which is debunking some of that stuff. This is a big deal. When I say God makes the state, I don't mean God makes the state and they puts behind it 100% no matter what it does. I'm saying God makes the state. I'm not saying it gets behind it 100%. So this means that we are citizens of a state that God really created us to live in a place, in a zip code, and and uh, and to be called by Italian or uh, or um uh, uh, Czech Repo- uh a Czech or to be called American and you know only Americans. United States of Americans call themselves only Americans because there are lots of Americans and there's lots of other United States of America where people in South America and other places call themselves. But we call ourselves Americans. Uh, and uh, we'll get to that arrogant stuff later. But, um, but, but, you know, he wants you to be named as a countryman. Or a country woman. He wants you to be understood like that. And that's what that Romans 13 passage is all about. Look at there with me. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. God establishes the authorities. Later, Peter says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or the governors, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. I wish I could say there was some first century way of understanding this that would get us out of this, but there's not. A nation state in the first century and a nation state in the 21st century are just about the same thing. So submission to um, uh, a God-ordained institution is important. It's something that God calls us to. But it's important also that you understand what their cause is. It's to, when you hear, punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Or in Psalm 82, as we kind of talk a little further down there in the next, uh, I think that's your next passage. Listen, this is talking about states in context. I'm not ripping this out of context. This is honestly what the scripture says about what states should be. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So when you think of a state, we need to think of the real-life God-or-stained institution whose purpose is to establish and to maintain justice among its citizens. That's its purpose. Romans 13 is a famous passage that talks about uh, uh, the state is to bring the sword, and the sword of justice, uh, uh, to, 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 that every person in the world lives in some civic responsibility uh, and are really called true citizens who really need to relate to the state, and the state has an obligation to do justice and to pursue righteousness for their citizens. I want you to get this right, because this is a radical statement to say God creates these things, especially all of you who tend toward apathy about the state. The Bible really sees you as a real, true citizen of a place during a real time under a real government. Your passport matters. So does your zip code. So does your voting precinct. The boundaries and the entities of government are yours to submit to. President Bush and his cabinet are your rulers and you're to submit to them. Just like President Clinton and his cabinet were your rulers and we were to submit to them. And frankly, people on either of those sides, uh, are, can be very frustrating, especially people who are Christians who, who, uh, who kind of throw around this kind of, uh, uh, Of unjust way of thinking about how the Lord has created these things. Your state citizenship is not an accident and neither are your leaders. Now that's a pretty radical statement. And I want to get back to that. And we'll talk about um, uh, ways in which the Lord has us be citizens in in a little bit. But what happens is is we start living in a nation. And we start absorbing its cultural uh, norms, its cultural realities, and its cultural uh, understanding. And we we, we go... um, We start creating idols of our nation and and this is true of all nations this is true of 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 any people group in a nation and and since this sermon series is it feels a little less like a, a idol sermon and more about here's how the state works and here's how christianity works with the state but there really are idols that creep up and idols are anything that that give you value and identity over and above uh, god and so the way to figure out if we have idols uh, of nationalism in America are, of course, to go back to Lee Greenwood. Because he has the pulse on all of American understanding of things. And remember, now I'm going to talk, I know there are people from other nations that are, uh, that are often here, you may be here now, um, but I want to talk about American uh, nationalism for a little while. Lee Greenwood as the diagnostic tool for idols. First one. In his song, I'm proud to be an American, for at least I know I'm free, right? That's the line everybody knows. I'm proud, of, uh, I won't forget the, those who died for me. I'll probably stand up next to you and defend her still today. And then something, God bless the USA. Anyway, the first two lines are the most important I'm proud to be an American, and then, uh, for at least I know I'm free. Those, in my mind, are the two places of idolatry for us as st- citizens of this state. I'm proud to be an American. There's a national arrogance, uh, uh, a manifest destiny, uh, might makes right, theocracy. Aren't we good? Aren't we great? And the easiest way to see it is is these little articles I told you about in terms of the soul, uh, the biblical justification for the soul superpower. You know, I mean, where you really feel like we got it going on and we are the best and we're the greatest nation ever. And, uh, and, and there's this, I'm proud to be an American, uh, falseness that b- creates an identity beyond what it should. And we just baptize, uh, the American dream and the Constitution in religious talk. We wrap the Bible uh, 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 in the American flag and let it cover it. Um, and uh, and it's an absurd and crazy thing. Uh, there's a great illustration of this. In, it happened in World War II where Patton, believe it or not, I'll let you figure out what side he's on. Uh, in 1944, uh, Patton's in third army is in Germany. Uh, they just fo- No, they're in France. They've just forced the German forces from France. And their attack, uh, they're on attack, but it was stalled because it was raining and snowing. It was a big mess. And uh, so Patton called the Chattelons Chaplain uh, Monsignor James O'Neill and he said, "Father Chaplain, I want you to publish a prayer for good weather. I'm tired of these soldiers having to fight mud and floods as well as Germans. See if we can't get God to work on our side." Chaplain O'Neill, "May I say, General, that it is usually isn't a it is that it usually isn't a customary thing among men of my profession to pray for clear weather in order to kill people?" Patton, chaplain, are you teaching me theology, or are you the chaplain of the Third Army? I want a prayer. You see how one got trumped? You see how I'm proud to be an American? The loyalty uh, that, that it's called for there—that uh, that there's a, an allegiance, a, a pledge of allegiance, even that's greater than uh, than uh, than a, another calling. I want—I'm not going to talk about the theologies or whatever and all that's going on there. But but Patton's got it. He says this. God's got to be on our side. We are right. America is for God and God is for America. Democracy, uh, it gets spoken of as if it were an evangelistic, uh something evangelistic to be done to others. Uh Free market as salvation. <laughs> That's a laugh right there. You don't believe it? Or you do believe it, one. Um, I was just having a conversation with one of us yesterday and I was talking about this and they said, well, and this person was earnest and honest and it was great. They're like, but we really are a great nation. There really are some great things. And I said, I, I'm not not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. But where's your identity in it? We're not just a great nation. You know that slavery thing? You know the fact that to this day, women have not been able to participate in the, um, in the political system More than they have been able to participate in the political system. 1920 is women's suffrage, right? We still got like 20 years or something or 50 years or something before that happens. Landowners are the only ones that can vote. We got a mess. We're not just a great nation. I think we are a great nation and of many other great nations. But what about our culture of violence? What about our sexual devolution? How about this one? What about greed? And then selling it! To everybody else. All of that. We are a great nation. And I'm thankful for it. But we also have an idolatrous identity with it. But it doesn't just happen for those who want to wrap the American flag in the Bible. It happens the other way too. Because there's another American tenet that we love. And that is freedom. Freedom. See, the great thing about America is that you can hate America. And be an American. And that's the other option we pull for. Autonomous freedom. I will not vote just because I don't want to vote. I will not participate just because I don't want to participate. Separatists and combatants uh, 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 relationally flipping through the channels of American civic life, unmoved, uh, unmet, uh, unencumbered by our neighbor. Un, un, uh, unchanged by anything going on around us, as long as I get mine. That's an American tenant that is also an idol for us. It's freedom at all costs. At least I know I'm free. I don't care. I don't vote. I don't uh, get anything uh, uh, involved with anything around me. I am who I am. I can be that. It's kind of like the English hooligans who um, who are so excited about being about English soccer that they make fools of themselves. And. To disobey all sorts of laws just to be English, I feel like we do that too in our kind of idolatrous pursuit of our freedoms. We get to do anything we want to do. Woohoo! God love America. Don't infringe on me in any way, shape, or form. There's a biblical example of that, and that's uh, Simon the Zealot, who was ended up being one of uh, the apostles of, of Jesus. They were freedom fighters. They were ones who were going to overthrow Rome. They were not going to have anything to do with Israel and Israel alone. The freedom that Israel deserved. And uh, they even took over Jerusalem for about four years. They took over Jerusalem. This is after Jesus' time. They took over uh, Jerusalem for like four years. But they ended up imploding because no one was nationalistic enough. And it kept getting smaller and smaller. Who could be the most nationalistic? And it actually imploded on itself. They ended up turning in on themselves and killing each other uh, until um, until, uh, the the Romans came in and found their weakness and and, and took them over again. Freedom at all costs. Idolatry is replacing the worth and dignity that comes from God with the worth and dignity that comes from a not-God. They're the same idol. Both pride... And freedom can be idols for us because zealots uh, become insurgents uh, and, and, uh, and uh, people who play by the rules can become imperialists because we end up taking our own gods or treating them as our own gods. So, so what's the solution to this? How does, how does this kind of work through and work out? It's a pretty um, intense thing that Jesus says he is. He says that he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Talking about king, the kingdom was Jesus's favorite sermon. It's the one he went to most, and he talked about it in terms of he being and his Father being the rulers of it, uh, the King of the kingdom, and us being subjects of that kingdom. Now, I want uh, the, the the kingdom in Jesus's preaching is this umbrella category under which he talks about everything else. Uh, in it, he talks about uh, preparing for the kingdom, or uh, that the kingdom was here, but not yet. Uh, he described it as a plant that's unmanageably growing uh, in, the, in the earth. He described it as a force that liberates us from social and religious, personal, family, and self-induced uh, sinful oppression. He proclaimed it as the cure for men's hearts and the place in which sins could be forgiven. It's where lives can be changed. And the entire cosmos would be redeemed. It's the place of struggle towards peace, towards liberation, towards restoration. The King of God in Christ's teaching is the pervasive redemption of all that was alienated in the fall, and it's restoring in Him. And so not only are we citizens of the state, we are subjects in the kingdom, if you're ones who call on Christ. We have a dual citizenship, if you will. Look at uh, the next verse for you from First Peter: You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. And so Jesus, to help us with this idolatry, is actually setting us in to a transnational, transcultural, trans transsocio- eternal kingdom a place where people uh, can connect and be ruled over by the mercy of God it is a uh, the kingdom of God becomes this this place this this identification this true identification that actually rightly and frees us to be citizens of the state and citizens in, uh, of the kingdom of the king CS Lewis says that we live in enemy occupied territory that's what the world is he says Christianity is the story of, of how the rightful king has landed, you might say, in disguise, and is calling us to take part in his great campaign. Jesus has come as King of King and Lord of Lords. Please understand that that's that's a political theology. He's actually claiming something, not just about um, who he is in the heavenlies, but he's claiming something about what it means to bow your knee to Caesar uh, as Lord or him as Lord. You can give Caesar the money, but you don't give him your ultimate allegiance. The Bible clearly uh, places us in a dual citizenship. I have a friend who's actually a dual citizen. His name's Ewan Kennedy. He's a preacher out in Elgin, Illinois, south, south of Chicago. And he be- he's from Scotland. He became an American citizen in 96, I think. Um, and in 96, you got to love what America makes you do. You had to renounce all ties to the Queen. That's what he had to do. Well, but nobody... But, but the queen doesn't take any kind of credit for that or whatsoever and pays it no mind. So he actually has two passports. Both, uh, uh, he actually lives uh, with two passports, uh, two subjugations, if you will. He's a dual citizen because the queen says, well, I don't care if you renounce me, I'm, you're still a subject of the queen. He actually lives in a dual citizenship with those two passports, and that's how we are. But you must understand that these citizenships are not equal. Just like one, uh, like in America, in the American citizenship, you're supposed to denounce all those things. Uh, one is trying to trump the other. But in fact, as, as in the UK, uh, the, the, it says, you know, you can't even trump it. We're going to keep sovereignty over you no matter what. Um, the same kind of authority uh, and the same kind of um, a reality is going on. You see, Jesus has said that all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him. That's a political statement. I reign over all things, including your state, including uh, your citizenship in that state. They are not equals. Citizenship in the kingdom trumps citizenship in the state. And we turn to this great passage to help us here, and that's in Joshua. Let me set it up for you a little bit. Israel is standing on the brink of entering the promised land. They're about to come in and have uh, their prayers answered in such a significant and beautiful way. They're about to come in, as God told them to, to come into this place and take the land. And they were going to have to take it by war, it seemed. And Joshua, Israel's political leader, uh, is standing over the battlefield, and this guy comes up. page uh, Verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went, went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Jesus fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for me, his servant? You see what happens here. How citizenship is playing out and which one trumps what. The commander of the Lord's army is asked, Whose side are you on? Are you for us or against us? And he says, Neither, but I'm here. God is not permanently for Israel as a geopolitical nation. If He wasn't in the Old Testament, He's probably not now. This does not mean that God doesn't care. He indeed does care. He cares by His very presence, by the commander of the Lord's army being there. He certainly cares. But He's saying, lest you be confused, I am who I am as God... I send who I send as God, and I will deal with the nations as I deal with the nations. They are mine to deal with. I am sovereign over them. I do not. Um, uh, I, I'm not even, I'm not pro-Israel. I'm not anti-Jericho. I am who I am. And I will come and be, I am pro-kingdom, pro-justice, Pro-reign of mine. The kingdom does not permanently bind itself to a single geopolitical reality. It doesn't and it never will. It is not for or against in any real sense of the word. And this should should be a little bit quirky to our American ears. As I said before, there are myths of our founding that say we were to be the city on the hill. You understand city on the hill? That's biblical language. We were going to set up and be this righteous beacon for all people, according to some, uh, to, to some of our founding fathers. Others founding fathers didn't think that at all. But some of ours did. And we have this kind of sense where we have this manifest destiny, this, this sense in which God must be really using us. We must be so important. He must be behind us. God must be on our side. But you understand no country has ever gone to war thinking God wasn't on their side. Who goes, okay, we're going to fight. God's not with us. That's not a good move, right? And God says, no, I am not uh, going to be pinned down by, uh, by who you are. I am who I am and I will use you as I wish. I will use your nation as I wish. You understand that at that point in that war, actually the, the, the commander of the Lord's army actually helped Israel at that point. He was with them to some degree. But did you know what happened not, just, not too much long afterward as they disobeyed? He was against them. He sent Assyrian armies to come take them away. God will use who He uses. He is not interested in keeping geopolitical, uh, entities as the, as the sole reality. Not if you're America or Israel or Palestine or the Union or the Confederacy or Iraq or Iran or the coalition or the UN forces or the Warsaw Pact, for goodness sake. It doesn't matter. And so, what does that say? How does that make us live? That, thinks, that makes us kind of pursue this in two ways. How do we think about our kingdom citizenship? You know, what's the brass tax, Great Georgia? That's all kind of ethereal. But what does that mean? As far as I can read, it means that we need to have, um, as, as Christ is the center, as the King of our lives, uh, and the King of our zip codes, uh, and as the state uh, and the King of our nations, um, that we're supposed to have both a cooperative and a subversive relationship with our states. As kingdom people, we have both a cooperative and subversive. The cooperative thing is hard because we need to get back to the fact that Scripture actually teaches us to submit to our states. And let me tell you, submit to our states, we got it bad. We got it bad, and, and, and depending on which race or ethnicity or group you're part of, you got it a, a lot worse than others in America. But you must understand that Romans, uh, the Romans passage that was just reading there, is a passage probably under the reign of Nero. It's probably under the reign of Nero, which means that, uh, I'm just looking at the kids. He would use Christians as, uh, as, as candles and their heads as wicks to light up his, his kingdom. Okay. That's what Paul's coming to call us to submit to. To cooperate with, in one sense, if we can. In any way we can, we cooperate with the state. In any way we can, we look for its good. We love it. We, we long for the betterment of the city. As, as Psalm 82 says, we look to defend the cause of the weak and the, faith, the fatherless, maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, and deliver from, from the hand of the wicked. We defend and maintain and pursue and uh, come alongside of the United States of America as much as we can, sometimes maybe even bearing a uniform, form, submitting to its authorities, working for its betterment. But you cannot have a greater allegiance. To it, then you can the state. In practical terms, what's this mean for us? On the cooperation side of things, it means we're going to have to endure a lot because we love the state that we've been given. We care for it. It may mean you got to celebrate a little bit on 4th of July, for those of you who are like cynical and don't want to do it. It may mean that you actually uh, vote for some of you who don't. It may mean that uh, you put a little American bumper sticker on the back of your car. Because you've had so much pride in never ever doing it. For some of you, of course, it means you have to take yours off. But, to cooperate with means to pursue it, to go after it, it requires that you, uh, uh you, you look for it and pray for it and hope for it. It means you give your, uh, uh, you, you give your time and energy towards it. But there's another thing. And that is a subversion. And I think that's this, this is also biblical because what the commander of the Lord's army is doing is subverting that which is going uh, that which was idolatrous in Joshua's heart. And other passages in Scripture teach us that if we're not uh, when it, when the the Scripture teaches us that we're that governments are supposed to defend the cause of the needy and to uh, uh, uphold righteousness and, uh, and and the weak and to uh, destroy wickedness in our land, um, uh, we have a subversive reality that we're supposed to do. As much as we can cooperate, we have to fight against our country. C.S. Lewis puts it nicely. I've been quoting C.S. Lewis like crazy. A man might have to die for his country, but no man must in any exclusive sense live for his country. He who surrenders himself without reservation to the temporal claims of a nation or a party or a class is rendering to Caesar... That which, of all things, most emphatically belongs to God, Himself. Because the nation-state's fallen, because we're fallen, and, the demo- and democracy that we live in, or totalitarian dictatorships that we live in are fallen, we long for and hope for good things for it, but sometimes we have to be a little revolutionary. Sometimes we have to be uh, uh, a little uh, seemingly un-American in our love and, and, and hope for America. We, uh, we don't ever live for her. We live for the kingdom outside, for, uh, outside and, and open to all so that um, the kingdom might expand and so that she might, as America, might become more beautiful. And sometimes that takes a little subversion. Sometimes that makes us need to think, okay, well, what about our foreign policy? What do I need to think about that? I'm not, I, you must understand, I don't understand any of this stuff. I'm not talking politics with you, I promise but I want you to ask the right questions. Are we, are we right? Can we listen to anybody? Do we always go on our own? Are we, why, are, why is Islam so angry with us? Is it just them? Could it be us? Why is it some people want to close their borders to our influence of, 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 uh, of uh, economic growth? Because with it, economic growth comes some other way. Something other things come with that economic growth? Ask a few non, honest non-Americans about the US. Just listen, don't defend. You'll feel a little unpatriotic or you feel a little self-righteous. But just listen and learn. What about death penalty for the mentally handicapped? What about extreme government control or extreme government neglect? Either way, we have to pursue some type of subversive reality. We have to be in somewhat sabotage and guerrilla warfare. That C.S. Lewis quote actually goes on. Uh, the other one says, um, where it says um, that, that we come in as... Oh, I'm not going to... Oh, I'm going to lose it. There it is. Um, the rightful king has landed, so you might say, in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. That in one sense the uh, the the kingdom of God comes in and and does sabotage to the to the U.S. international state because it loves it. Now, cooperation, subversion, but you're not going to get it unless you get what Jesus is doing in His kingdom. Because there's one thing I want us all to realize is that you're not going to cooperate all that well, that you're not going to subvert all that well, you. We'll be in here, honestly, going before God on an issue. And especially in our church, Lord knows this is happening. We may split the vote 50-50. Actually, in our church, it'll be a third, third, a third. You know, we'll have all sorts of different political philosophies going on. And we will be trying to honor the Lord as best we can. And we will be on absolute opposite sides of issues. And that's okay. Because the one way for all of us to think about what we do is to think about it reliantly. We are subjects of the King whose entrance is mercy. We were a people who had no mercy, but now we are a people who have mercy. You're not going to be subversive enough or good enough at your subversion. You're not going to be cooperative enough or submissive enough. You and I, who are called Christians, who have uh, the holy nation that is put over us, are entering into this relationship In mercy. And it's that mercy we cling to, not just ourselves as individuals that we call in the name of Christ to say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me for all my neglect, for my hateful attitudes towards nations, towards presidents, towards governors. Please help me love them and pursue what is right and beautiful and good in our society. Or, Lord, please convince me that it's not right and beautiful and good all the time. Please convince me that America may not be the best thing since sliced bread. Please convince me of our, our place that where we are. Yes, you need to access Jesus on that mercy so that we can throw away our idolatry but not just that we claim as it come as a people who are uh, governed by the king and governed by a a state and we come as a people under both of those things and say Jesus please heal our land care for it all the injustices that occur uh, the conservative ones and the liberal ones all those injustices would you please come and bring peace and bring shalom to your city bring uh, rest for your people including me the amazing thing about the Zealot Simon, and this is—we're moving out a little bit from Scripture into some church history that is sometimes a little unreliable—but Simon the Zealot got it. He gave up his ways, and he probably gave up his ways in the middle of the overthrow of the Zealot, well, the Zealot uh, uh, revolution that I was telling you about, it happened in 66. So he's probably alive or, or near that uh, uh, n- near that time. Simon became one of the most, if we can believe church history, one of the most international missionaries that ever existed. Simon, as I as I read through, uh, started North Africa from Egypt to uh, uh, Mauritania. I don't even know where that is, and even into Britain. He was crucified by, likely crucified by the Romans in Lincolnshire, Britain. But before that, he went to Persia uh, uh, and. and if you think about another great zealot like person is is paul who went from greece to spain from jerusalem to italy crisscrossing the mediterranean from asia to africa touching nation after nation they were freed to love their nation and to love other nations as well freed uh, from their israel is everything to know jesus is everything and he is everything for all nations and they are captivated by the vision of our uh our our, our passage that we read today from uh, that, that was the forgiveness of sin, that you are worthy to take away the scroll from Romans 5, where every tribe and tongue and nation can come under it, come under you. They're all there to worship God. I I haven't given you everything that you need to figure out how to be a Christian uh, in, uh, in America. I, I don't get all the principles. Some of these principles... We may find uh, over time this will be off. I don't think cooperation and subversion are. But what Scripture clearly gives for us, whether you're in Darfur or Detroit, is that there's a King of our kingdoms. There's a Lord. There's a Lord of lords whose entrance into that nation is mercy. And we come to Him begging for it for ourselves. And whatever governing body we have over us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for our, uh, little nation state, our, uh, our, uh, our country. But Lord, we pray that we would not uh, pursue it with as much idolatry as we have in the past, uh, and do in the present. Lord, would you help us not find it as the thing that gives us life? but that we look to you as the one who gives us life so that we might sacrifice and submit for her uh, because of our citizenship with you, that we might uh, uh, be able to be subversive to it because of our citizenship with you, not because we're morally right, but because you are right and have been good and have loved uh, us and our nation and the nations of the world well. We ask this in your name. Amen.